Hello, and welcome to the Writers Forum, a weekly production of WRBH Reading Radio. I'm the owner of Tubby and Coo's Mid City Bookshop, and your host, Candace Huber. This week, I'm talking to Brian Camp, author of the Crescent City novel series, which began with The City of Lost Fortunes. His new book, the second in the series, called Gather the Fortunes, releases May 21st. Brian Camp is a graduate of the Clarion West Writers' Workshop and the University of New Orleans Low Residency MFA program. He started his first novel, The City of Lost Fortunes, in the backseat of his parents' car as they evacuated for Hurricane Katrina. The City of Lost Fortunes was named one of Library Journal's best books of 2018. Brian has been, at various points in his life, a security guard at a stock car racetrack, a printer in a flag factory, an office worker in an oil refinery, and a high school English teacher. He lives in New Orleans with his wife and their three cats, one of whom is named after a superhero. Welcome, Brian. Thanks for being here with us today. Hey, thanks for having me. So, my first question is, why did you choose to write genre fiction versus literary fiction because you do have we heard your bio like this fancy literary background so i'm just wondering what you think science fiction and fantasy bring that other genres may not uh well my answer to that is kind of complicated um but to me literary fiction is a genre um i don't i don't even call it literary fiction i call it uh contemporary realism uh and for me and not that I don't enjoy contemporary realism. I read some of it, and I, I really enjoy it. Um, but uh, for me, it's like it's like the they took the entirety of of film, right? And they took pirate movies, and they they said pirate movies are going to be called good film from now on, right? Yeah. And then you hand them Casablanca, and they're like, I mean, it's an enjoyable picture. But I don't see any eye patches. I don't see any peg legs, right? <laughs> so we can't really call it good film, can we? Right? But, you know, then they take something that, that is a, a good film, right? They might take Casablanca, for instance, and they would say, well, Rick is kind of a pirate, right? <laughs> yeah. So it's it, it, he is elevating to the genre of good film, even though it's really a war movie, right? Yeah. And so there's that whole that there's that, that whole distinction of literary, right? Which anybody who who makes a big deal about literary fiction, right? You can almost hear the literature in right. their voice, right? <laughs> um, and I'm, uh, but yeah. So so for me, this is this is the kind of stuff I I like to read. This is the kind of stuff I like to write. Uh, and so there there never really was a a decision making process in terms of why would I write one thing or another, you know? And I mean, obviously, I would hope to be a part of the literary canon, you know, right. uh, in the same way that uh, some of the authors that I really love, like John Crowley, Catherine Valente, uh, Ursula K. Le Guin, N.K. Jemison, um, you know, people like that. Uh, I mean, they write fantasy, they write science fiction, you know, but, um, yeah, so that's, that's my kind of answer to that question. <laughs> Got it. And so both of your books in this, it's like more of a duology, but not really kind right. of a series. Uh, both of them draw on myths mm-hmm. and there's like all the myths right. in there. So you kind of just like all the myths are real and mm-hmm. like you kind of put everything in there. So I was wondering why did you choose to say 
every every it's it's kind of like most mostly about death both of these books right. and it's like okay so all of these different ways of thinking about death are valid and mm-hmm. i think that's really interesting that you did that so i was just wondering uh, well, so for the the why all these various myths question uh, is really just because I'm a great big nerd, um, <laughs> and uh, I spent quite a lot of time reading a lot of mythology, and so uh, all of that stuff is just kind of rattling around in my head. And um, there's this uh, there's an aspect of mythology called syncretic myth, uh, and it's it 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 focuses on the ways in which myth transitions from culture to culture um you know when uh the the romans were uh involved let's say uh with uh with the egyptians there was some crossover there um and then things like uh when enslaved people were uh in new orleans they were forced into being catholic uh and they found some connection uh, between their ancestor spirits, the Loire, and uh, the Catholic saints. Uh, and so sometimes those those exchanges can happen peacefully and, and enrichingly, and sometimes it's a forced kind of adoption. Um, but regardless, uh, one of the things that I think is fascinating about myth is the way it shows the way that our, our humanness is universal. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. There are things that we, uh, there are connections that we have that it doesn't matter if it was 2,000 years ago or if it's across the world or if it's various different neighborhoods in a, in a particular city. Um, there are these connections that we have. Uh, in terms of uh, writing about uh, death uh, spirits and, and things like that, uh, that was just kind of uh, a a part of the character uh the she's not the the character i intended to write about uh when i when i started thinking that was my about next question is why did you pick her okay um <laughs> she and i'm not one of those writers who you know the character takes over and they tell me what the story is going to be and that kind of thing um i am definitely in control of these situations um but this this character when i wrote her into the first book was just so interesting and compelling that I wanted to figure out what happened to her next. Uh, plus, I gave, I had ended her on kind of a raw deal yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, in the first book, and uh, I didn't, and it didn't feel fair to me. Uh, so I wanted to kind of explore and, and give her a, a happier ending. Um, not that she necessarily has a happy ending. In I don't think anybody really gets true happy endings, mm-hmm. um, but. Uh, yeah, so she was she was just so interesting and compelling. Uh, but in the first, by the end of the first book, uh, she is a psychopomp, one of the guides who leads the dead um, into the underworld. Uh, and there are obviously many many myths uh, that that draw on that idea. Um, and so that that kind of gave me an in to figuring out all of these different mythologies and things like that. Yeah, and I just thought it was cool that. You essentially validate like everything, like any kind of way that you believe about death. Like, you know, if you believe that there's like this great heaven where everybody has wings and whatever that exists, if you believe that this other thing is it that exists too. It's it's really cool the way that you did that. It was like, like all these things exist for you. So when you die, you can just go to wherever you think is is the place to go. Right, right. Um, I took a little, I, I was, I had come up with all of that kind of stuff um, uh, 
uh, on my own. Uh, but I was I was gratified for that moment on The Good Place, that the TV show. Uh, where he said everybody gets it like five percent right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so that's that was kind of my mindset, you know, in this in this book, and it's really kind of my mindset uh, just in general is that you know because these things are so interconnected because our ways of looking at the world, uh, be it you know even you know if you think about the the ways that we think about the world, we have this kind of reliance on on science and reason and we say that you know that's we understand how the world works. All these other people who came before us, they were, you know, illiterate people with ideas about, you know, like thunder makes loud noise, so a god must be doing it, right? Mm-hmm. Um and so we're we're so much more elevated than them. But um we we really put a lot of unconsidered faith into a lot of things, you know, mm-hmm. um, we, 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 we think we understand the world when in fact, I don't think anybody really truly understands just how weird the world can be. Uh, and so, uh, so all of those things I, I kind of jumbled together into a, a worldview that's Vague enough to be <laughs> works for everybody. Yep. Have an idea. <laughs> and that was really cool. And so just to let people know who we're talking about. So in the first book, City of Lost Fortunes, there was this character, Renaissance Reigns, which I'm wondering where you got her name from, because it's it's a great name yeah. for a character. Um I I wish I could remember. Uh <laughs> she she uh she said her name was Renee in you know when the characters were interesting, and so in, in the in earlier drafts of the book, she was a much more minor character. Um, and then um, in in later drafts, she became more and more important. Um, and so uh, the the bigger she got, kind of in my head, the more she needed to have a a backstory and things like that. And then at, at one point, I was like, you know, why would why would her name be Renee? <laughs> spelled that way, yeah. uh, and then the word Renaissance just kind of clicked, so it, uh, it just worked out. It's cool. I like the name a lot. So in the second book, Gather the Fortunes, Renaissance Reigns is the main character. Right. Uh, and in the first book, she's a secondary character, but an important one. And I didn't want to give too much away about right. that. Um, but well, the you, first book's been out for a year, so I figured... I guess that's true. We can yeah. talk about the first book. <laughs> um, so, but both books there kind of revolve around a central mystery. So in City of Lost Fortunes, there's the mystery of a a murder mystery, essentially, who killed the fortune god of New Orleans. And in this book, Gather the Fortunes, it's the the mystery of this, like, missing soul who has escaped his own death, Mm -hmm. which is interesting in in its in its own right it's like huh and so i'm wondering why if you i clearly purposely put these mysteries sort mm-hmm. of at the cent- center of these books so why do you think that was important to have this like ongoing mystery um plot yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's just the kind of simple answer um when i was when i was coming up with the idea for the first book uh i was uh on my last semester or so of undergrad, uh, and I was taking a couple of classes. One was an undergraduate fiction workshop, and one of them was a detective fiction class. Uh, and so just kind of a lot of the bedrock core ideas of what I was thinking about at the time were 
war mysteries and noir mysteries in particular, right? Um, and and things like that. And so I wanted to I wanted to I I enjoy many many genres, you know, like I like I was talking about earlier. Uh, and so this idea of of uh, this this particular genre is, is called urban fantasy because it's mm-hmm. it's centered in a city environment, but it's magic. Um, so that that lended itself to a kind of noir feel. Um, and I'm not the first person to, to connect those two ideas, uh, but it, 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 it's a, it's a fun and it's a, uh, a symbiotic kind of, uh, connection for those two things. Uh, the way that a, a detective sees the world is in some way kind of mythic because they have to make up a story for why this thing happened that doesn't make any sense, you know, um, and explicitly why it's a murder mystery in the first book and a missing persons mystery in the second book. Uh, I had 11 years <laughs> to write the first <laughs> book. So I had a lot of time to just kind of wallow in it and figure things out. And um, and then I had about 11 months to write the second <laughs> book. Uh, and I was really nervous about falling back on just rewriting the same book. Uh, and so I because it's set in the same world with all the same characters, I didn't want to go too different and have like the first one be a murder mystery and the second one be like a rom-com, right. you know, but I wanted it. I, so it had to have some kind of cohesion there, but I wanted it to be different enough that I knew that it, or that it, it hopefully wouldn't just get onto the same streetcar tracks and just follow the same way, you know? So, uh, so I very explicitly made it a missing person mystery um, that let me draw on different sources of of inspiration and things like that. Yeah. And the so the missing person in the second book is this kid who has evaded his foretold death, essentially. And well, yeah, it it just is. He just evaded his foretold death. And so Renee, as a psychopomp who guides people, is like, okay, we have to figure out what happened because our job has gone completely awry. So in the in the second book, you dive much deeper into the underworld, which is a much bigger part. Like it's like a very large part of the second book, right. and it was only sort of like there for like part of the first one. Mm-hmm. And so I was glad that you did that because I was like really interested in the underworld. <laughs> and so uh, can you tell us a bit about your the underworld's interesting because you built it to where there's all these different levels, and mm-hmm. each level feels very different um, as you go through them. So I'm just wondering about your world building process of like, how did you come up with the underworld? Right. <laughs> so, uh, so you know, I, when I knew I was going to be writing about it, uh, a psychopomp, I knew I was going to go into the underworld and I knew that I was going to have much more um, exploration of something that I had just kind of hinted at in the first book. Uh, which meant I had to first, I had to go look back at the first book uh, for some measure of consistency. So there was a, <laughs> there was a, there was a, not a small amount of expletive deleted, expletive deleted. <laughs> what did I do to myself? Backed into a corner by saying this and, you know, uh, but what, what I found was that I could say, you know, Jude, the main character of the first book, his understanding of the underworld was was this much, you know, a, a thimbleful, uh, and whereas Renee knows much more about it. So anything that he got wrong was the character getting something wrong 
and not the author making <laughs> horrible <laughs> mistakes, right? Uh, so that was the first thing that I kind of had to to navigate. Um, but in terms of uh, in terms of coming up with uh, the way that the underworld works and and things like that, um, I, I kind of relied honestly on on myth. Uh, you know, you've got the Divine Comedy where the where the the metaphysics of the afterlife, both the both hell and heaven, are divided into into categories and, and into uh, sections. Um, and then there are uh, there are analogs, you know, in in various actual myths that aren't um, fictive. Uh, so um, one of the things is in voodoo, uh, there is uh, the idea that there are seven gates that lead through into the underworld, uh, and each of those gates uh, is guarded by one of the loa, um, uh, specifically of the Gede family, and so. Um, so that was kind of kind of where I started. You know, I I knew I didn't want to just copy the Divine Comedy, and I knew I didn't want to. And, and there's not a whole lot actually written in terms of the specifics of um, you know which Lua guards which gate and what the, those gates mean and things like that. Um, you know, or at least none that I could find. Uh, but there are, and there you know, the, and some of the things that I found. Um, it worked better for me plot-wise to change one thing around or another. So if there are there are issues in that in those in those situations, sometimes they're deliberate and sometimes they're you know I I don't I'm not a myth scholar I'm just a nerd right. right. <laughs> um, but but the the world building for that um, there's a there's a part of it and it's more urban legend than actual myth. But each of the the voodoo loa they have uh, what's called a veve. Uh, it's a uh, it's a drawing that indicates um, that particular deity, um, and they're very stylized. Um, and uh, the veve for legba is uh, a crossroads, right? Or, or it, 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 there's an X, uh, and there's a couple of stars on it. Uh, and the urban legend in New Orleans is that if you were to take the that crossroads and line it up with a particular crossroads in New Orleans and you get it right and you get the angle right, those seven stars will be the entrances to seven cemeteries and those seven cemeteries will be the seven gates of the underworld, um, which is really cool. And when you mm-hmm. come across something really cool like that, you don't, you don't, you don't wash that away. Right. <laughs> so I just, I, I let that be the, the thing. And so, um, the other, the other aspect of, of, building out the underworld um, that I, I kind of fell back on was, was the idea that you would be getting further and further away from the material. Uh, and so the, the deeper into the underworld you go, the more abstract things get. Mm-hmm. Um, and there, are, there were plot and uh, book length <laughs> reasons for why I did that uh, as well. Uh, but it was also a, a deliberate thing that I wanted to do. Um, and also the idea was that the underworld um, and the afterlife are kind of two separate things, right? The underworld is a transitional liminal space, as I see it, uh, which is kind of the same for everybody. Everybody, um, it's kind of like an airport, you mm-hmm. know, you're all hanging out in the same airport and you might be going to different destinations, but you're all, you know, and and all airports kind of look the same because they all have kind of the same 
a, a similar function and, you know, um, and so your experience of traveling through an airport might be different than someone else's, uh, but the airport itself looks kind of the same for everybody, you know, mm-hmm. and so that's my idea of, of how the underworld works is that it's, um, it's an interesting, unusual place uh, that gets further and further away from the material world. But then once you get all the way through the end of the underworld, you move into whatever um, afterlife, the f- I call them the far lands, uh, whatever afterlife you deserve, you earn. Um, and so, um, so yeah, so that was, that's, that's my world building for the underworld, I guess, in five minutes. <laughs> and there are some destinations where, in the underworld, where you can, like, choose to not move on if you want. You can, right. like, sit there and stay at the party, which this is from the first book. There's right. this big party happening at the end of Esplanade at this mansion, and you can just stay there if you want and party for right. all of eternity right. um, <laughs> instead of moving on to the afterlife. So that's interesting, too. There are several locations like that where it's like, well, I guess at each gate, it's like you can choose to right. go on or stay there if because, you want. Because not everybody wants to necessarily go to the afterlife that they deserve. Right. You know? That's true. So, you know, like, it's like uh, I'll just stay here then. Like, yeah. like Tom Hanks in that movie. You just hang out in the airport for eternity. <laughs> just, just hang out there forever, right? Um, so I'm curious about um, since The City of Lost Fortunes is your debut novel and you said mm-hmm. it took you 11 years to write that one and then you had 11 months to write this one. So was book two harder or easier to write than book one since you kind of already had some stuff established but then you had to crunch it all? Just time. pure abject agony. <laughs> <laughs> to be honest, it was uh, there. Are, there, are, there are weeks I don't remember because I was just <laughs> so uh, into this book. Um, there, a lot of the heavy lifting in terms of um, in terms of world building uh, and and character and that kind of stuff. A lot of that I had done already, um, and a lot of the um, a lot of those eleven years that I spent writing the first book were spent rewriting it. Yeah, you know. Um, Learning how to uh, plot something, learning how to uh, to cut something down, learning how to um, be more concise with a description or well, and some people would say I still need a lot to learn in terms <laughs> of uh, description uh, and being concise. Um, but uh, but yeah, so so in that sense, a lot of those eleven years, um, weren't just on that one book. You know, uh, I like to I like to tell people that, uh, you know, people say that they have two or three books in a trunk or in, in a drawer somewhere um, that they wrote before they wrote their the book that, that actually gets sold. Uh, for me, I did the same thing. I just rewrote the same book four different times. Right. You know, uh, and so that was a lot of those 11 years. Um, but... In terms of this book, um, Neil Gaiman, someone I, I respect a lot, he uh, he said, you don't ever actually learn how to write a book. You learn how to write the book you're writing. Uh, and so this book was was different from the first book in a lot of ways. Uh, and outside of just the pressure of, you know, I have a deadline for the first time in my <laughs> life and things like that, um, the, the book is a lot different um, structurally. The book is a lot different uh, in terms of what I was talking about and and that kind of stuff, thematically, things like that. Um, And that that changed the writing process a lot. Um, And so uh, in terms of editing, uh, for example, there's a section in the kind of the, that's the kind of the middle of the book uh, 
um, that I thought would take about a chapter, right? Um, and it, uh, my chapters are about five, maybe 8,000 words. That's the, the sweet spot for a chapter for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I started writing and I got to 5,000 words and I was like, this is going to be at least two chapters, but I'm just going to keep going and I'll cut it up into chapters when I get to the end of it. Um, and then I kept writing and I kept writing and like 18,000 words later, I got to the end of that part of the story uh, and, um, you know, and so weeks and weeks and weeks had gone by where I wasn't, where I was writing every day, but I wasn't moving any further in the outline. And so it was, it was like running on a treadmill, um, but also running a distance run at the same time, you know? And mm-hmm. so everybody else is passing you by and the deadline is getting closer, but you haven't moved at all, you know? Uh, and so that that aspect of the book really really took a lot, um, and that's a that was a, a completely unique problem to this book, you know. Yeah. Um, and that that was something I in all of the eleven years of writing that first book, I had not encountered something like that because the book was structured very differently every time I had written that book over again. Uh, and it's probably not a problem I'll ever I'll I'll hopefully ever encounter again, you know. Uh, so it was a it was a challenge in that in that respect, um, just because it was a it was a new structural thing that I was I was imag- I was figuring out as I as I went through. So what happened to those eighteen thousand words? Did you cut it? Did you break it up? I I, I broke up some <laughs> of it. I cut a lot of it. Um, it's it it became multiple chapters. Um, um, but yeah, but it was uh, it's still a lot bigger part of the book than I thought it was going to be. Yeah. And so how did publishing that first book change your process of writing? Um, because this one was clearly harder in some ways than the first book. Right. But did it change your process at all? Um, not really. Um, I... I'm I'm the kind of I I really would like to have more outside help <laughs> as a writer, uh, but I I don't work that way. Um, and and when I say I would like more outside help, what I really mean is I I would like to edit other people's books <laughs> <laughs> because it's so much easier to edit something than to you know to to take something apart and fix what's what's wrong with it than to build it from scratch. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean I love drafting and 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 doing that and don't get me and I'm and part of this is, bi- is going to be biased because I'm currently drafting a new thing and the hardest part of anything you're ever doing is the part that you're currently at. Yeah. Um but in terms of the the writing process um it's not that different. I have more time uh now to write now that I'm not grading essays all the time. Uh I was a teacher before I was a writer. Um but the the process itself hasn't changed all that much. It's still it's still just me and a, and a blank page and a lot of nerd stuff in my brain. So <laughs> uh, so that's how that goes. Uh, it was a little easier um, in terms of drafting, knowing that I was going to take this broken, fragile thing and hand it off to a great editor like John Joseph Adams, and know that he was going to be able to help me make it better. Um, all those years of writing that first book, it was me taking something I had broken and trying to fix it. Um, 
on my own. And mm-hmm. so that was a that's a good part of of the publishing process for me is knowing that somebody else is going to be there to 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 make me look better. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so what is next for you? Do you have anything on um, the docket? Yeah, next um, I'm working on a secondary world fantasy that is uh, loosely based on French and Spanish colonial New Orleans. Cool. That sounds interesting. So thank you for being here today. Thanks for having me. Yes. That was Brian Camp, author of the Crescent City novel series, which began with The City of Lost Fortunes. The second book, Gather the Fortunes, releases May 21st. You've been listening to The Writers' Forum, a weekly production of WRBH. You can catch our show every Thursday at 3 p.m. and again on Sundays at 8.30 a.m. This show and all of WRBH's programs can be found on our SoundCloud page at soundcloud.com slash WRBH Reading Radio, as well as on iTunes and Google Podcasts. Thanks for listening. I'm Candace Huber. Until next time.